Welcome to another episode of the Paradigm 132 Podcast. I'm your humble and gracious host, Rashad Horn. And this is part two of my discussion on the Inclusion and Diversity Report um, from the year 2019, which again, as I said in part one, was... It piqued my interest because of another report that was put out that Shannon Sharp and Skip Bellis discussed on their show, Undisputed, and they were just saying that the NFL, as far as a diversity report, received a little grade of an elf. And for anyone that's gone to school, we know that an elf is a failure, right? So in this particular episode, you know, I want to answer the question, is the NFL to blame? Should we be mad at the NFL? And I want to try to talk about it from both sides um, because it's, if I don't feel you're wrong if you say yes. I don't feel you're wrong if you say no. I don't really feel you're, you're not wrong if you feel indifferent. You don't feel any type of way about it. You just say, okay, it's just status quo. It is what it is. You know, you just take it and go. So, um... For anyone that didn't listen to part one, um, I would recommend that you go back and listen to part one, so that way you're kind of up to speed to what it is that I'm tr- that I'm discussing, the continuation of what I'm discussing in part two, but just a short synopsis of part one, um, an inclusion and diversity report that I came across from 2019, which a lot hasn't necessarily changed in that particular time span, so the information is not just on a one-year basis. They've done their due diligence to go back to actually come up with the numbers. And, <clears throat> excuse me, again, you can Google Inclusion and Diversity Report NFL, and you can go and read it. It's roughly about 26 to 29 pages long, and it's there for you. They really took their time putting this together. And it's just an interesting way to look at it. Um is we've had a love-hate relationship, I feel like, with the NFL, at least here recently, with the um, the Kaepernick situation, which just got blown completely, completely out of proportion to where we had, you know, a lot of black people feeling, saying, that, hey, look, I'm not watching the NFL anymore because not only are they not... essentially taking a stand and saying that, hey, this has nothing to do with the flag. This has to do with something off the field. And and, and for those that are what you want to call the politically correct people to say, well, hey, you know, this is still a job and your job has rules. You can't be doing this on your job. So, you know, whatever. But that's what that is, you know. I'm not touching, you know, I don't necessarily want to touch it because I don't really have a I have an opinion on it, but I I I feel like it's water on the bridge now. Um, honestly, I feel like it's been talked about enough, so I don't really feel like anything that I have to say could really add any value to it. Um, I'll just say that I respect um, Kaepernick for what he did and things of that particular nature. But the reason I bring, you know kind of segued and this kind of bringing Cap in is because essentially this is essentially what he took a knee for when you look at it because the he took a knee for injustice and this essentially when you look at the numbers and numbers are just 
I mean, the numbers are bad, you know? And it's an injustice that you don't have more black head coaches, black offensive and defensive coordinators in these particular positions when essentially you can take someone like Joe Judge, who was a special teams wide receiver coach, and not bump him up to a full, you know, bump him up to a coordinator position, but to surpass all of that and become a head coach. All right? And obviously, like I stated in part one, I felt like that had, you know, something to do with him working for Bill Belichick, you know, whatever the situation is. But in any regard, it's still just a slap in the face. So, again, is the NFL to blame? Um, <clears throat> I necessarily can't say that I blame the NFL because you, if you really, if you break it down, to is essence, right? Break it down to his essence. We bring in the word inclusion, and the word inclusion is a key word in this entire discussion because inclusion means to include, right? That's what it means. So, essentially, you know, we, you know, as black people during, um, a period in history, which, you know, some people can have uh, the idea that um, inclusion and, you know, everyone being included in the same thing um, did more harm than good to black people. If you're in that camp, I understand your point. And for the ones that felt like, well, you know, it's good that we were able to work towards something better by actually working together. And if you're in that camp, I understand that camp as well. But one of the things that has to be touched on is that this game wasn't created by us, right? This this isn't our game. We're just participants, and we were allowed to be included in this game, right? Obviously, we had our own situations where we were playing this game. Um, you know, we have the, you know, just getting off of football, but we have the instance in which, because the thing about it is we don't necessarily know the first NFL players professional, you know, when everything got transferred. We don't know them the same way that we know Jackie Robinson because – Baseball is considered America's pastime, so it was considered America's biggest sport. So to have a black man to come from the Negro Leagues to go and play for the Dodgers, to go to essentially what I still feel, baseball is a white person's sport, essentially. Still, I still feel like it has that moniker. I think it, it, it has a more overbearing tone more so than the NFL does, but that's a different discussion for a different day. But this isn't our game. So we go back to the word inclusion, which means to include. So include, you know, based on the way you want to look at it, can be a compromise. So that's what that's what it is. It was essentially a compromise. So, hey, you want to play? Okay, cool. This is what it is. 
And again, like I stated in the first, you know, the first part for the longest period of time, the my, the long-standing argument or long-standing standard was that a black man wasn't intelligent enough to play quarterback. You're good enough to run the ball. You're good enough to catch the ball. You're good enough to tackle. You're good enough to, um, you know, block or whatever. But you're not good enough to be in charge of the offense, making all the checks, making all the reads, doing all that. You're not good enough for that. So, obviously, of course, we have defined that and nipped it in the bud, even though it's still something that still comes up, but it's not as overt. It's a lot more covert now. So, we have, like... Uh, Lamar Jackson, who people were saying, hey, you know, teams didn't even want to look at him at quarterback. Like, hey, you, you're fast, you know, you're going to be a wide receiver. And I commend that brother for not only believing in himself, but believing in his talent as well. Because to go from people stating that, you know, you're not good enough to play quarterback to come back and put up a historic MVP season. It's just, it's a testament. And and I hopefully that that brother continues to excel because the more they, the more they excel, the more we can continue to push that narrative, push that narrative into the ground that a black man isn't smart enough to play quarterback. So that's why someone like Mike Tomlin, who's the head coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers, it was so great that what transpired this past year, and if you don't follow the NFL, um, they were hit by tremendous injuries. They lost two of their best offensive weapons prior. Then they lost their quarterback for the year. And, you know, they rotated different quarterbacks. Other players got hurt. And... Mike Tomlin coached, along with his staff, because a lot of times we get caught up, and I'm guilty of it myself, we get caught up in giving the praise and acknowledgement to the person that is considered the head, but not recognizing the supporting cast. But just for this argument, we'll just (laughs) um, give Mike Tomlin the praise, right? Because he did a hell of a job this year, right? Because of the I've seen instances where a team lost what they lost, and <clears throat> they're picking first or second in the draft, right? You know, that's I mean that's that's what they're doing. They're picking number one or number two or maybe even number three. They they got a top five draft pick unless they traded away, based on every single thing that that they lost. But Mike Tomlin was able to be steadfast. He was able to get the team focused. And, you know, they had a chance to actually make the playoffs, right? And taking in consideration everything that transpired with them this year, I mean, that's just a testament to what he did. So we need Mike Tomlin to – to continue to do good because obviously and I I actually hate saying that right the reason I hate saying it 
is because we are supposed to be past that point of I have to show you. I have to show you how great I am. Like, we're supposed to be past it. It's just supposed to be, hey, we know it. You don't, you know, we know. It's it's understood. Like like the old saying goes, it's understood. It doesn't have to be explained. But in this case, it's not understood. It has to not only be explained, it has to be shown. It has to be, you know, it just has to be everything, right? And you just have to show that, hey, you're worthy of this. So, but... Mike has to do good, right? And whether and you know whether that has any bearing on the outcome in the future, who's to, you know who's to tell? But we you know you get the opportunity. You have to you have to go, even though your leash essentially is shorter. You know, still shorter, right? It's still shorter. And the same goes for, um, I believe it's Matt Flor, Mike Flores from the Miami Dolphins. You know, the Dolphins took a chance, brought him in. So, you know, Anthony Lynn, you know, you got to go. You got to you gotta make these, um, you got to make the most of these opportunities, right? Because, again, like I said, it's, it's almost to uh, a fault that sometimes some teams, I feel, if they make that move, they're making that move to the outside perception and say, well, hey, look, we're, we're different. We're not like everyone else. But I feel like deep down on the inside, on the other side, it's like, you know, uh, he may, you know, we're banking, may, you know, he'll probably fail, you know, and he'll be out of here. And so we're not obligated to turn right back around and do that again because we've done it. We're like, hey, look, we did it. It didn't work. All right, let's get back to status quo. But then if it does work, then it's like, okay, cool. Like, you know, you looked at, oh, yeah, we were vanguards. You know, we, we were front runners. We believed in him from day one. Like, no, you didn't. You know, no, you didn't. Because at the first sign of trouble, you were jumping ship. So it's, it's you know, good. I mean, going back to the collegiate level, um, I'm a Miami Hurricane fan, right? Miami Hurricane fan. Um, biggest rival is Florida State. And Florida State had a black head coach, Willie Taggart. And even though that's a rival, I put all it, you know, to the side because it's like this is a brother at a, a school that has a rich history. And same with Charlie Strong out in Texas. His schools with rich history. And these jobs aren't necessarily open for black men, right? They're not necessarily open. So when you get there, it's like, man, you gotta, you gotta go. And unfortunately, Willie Taggart and Charlie Strong both failed, right? And the argument that I always try to present is like. You have they they they're they got double duty. They got to manage a team, and then they got to manage the outside. Because when Charlie Strong was hired at Texas, one of the bigger boosters, um, it was a lot of racial epithets thrown around that you know almost like a black man should never ever be the head coach at such a prestigious university. Um, Willie Taggart dealt with. 
um, the same things. Even Kevin, Kevin Sumlin down at Texas A&M, which I don't look at Texas A&M on the same level as a Texas and a Florida State per se, but he had to deal with that type of stuff too. So it just, you know, you have to persevere. And that just goes back, you know, to just being great, to have to be able to manage that, manage what's on the field, manage your staff, and then come home and manage all of that because it's way different when you're just, let's say, a position coach or maybe even a coordinator or something like that. Because it's like, okay, well, it's just your side of the ball. So if my side doing, you know, doing good, then okay, I'm fine. But as the head man, you know, you're responsible for everything. So even though your offensive coordinator may be trash or your defensive coordinator may be trash, you're going to bear the brunt. And me and the brother, you're going to bear it even more. So, again, it goes back to what I said. This is their game. And we just were included in the game. We wanted to be included in the game. That was the compromise. Okay, well, hey, shoot. Come on. You can play. And, you know, the game, you know, is a lot more athletic, a lot more flamboyant, things of that particular nature, things that people stereotypically attach to black people. But, you know, you just have to – you have to take in the stride and just keep going. So <clears> – <throat> Again, you know, is the NFL to blame for essentially dropping the ball? And like I said, this is this is their game. And you're not making them do anything. It's kind of like affirmative action. Affirmative action started off with good intentions, but eventually it got watered down, and which – Essentially, it was watered down from day one because it said minority. It didn't say black. It said minority. So then all of these minority groups started popping up, and so now they get the benefits. So it's kind of like the same thing with the Rooney Rule. So it's going to go from, um, like, they made a which, – which it's a big deal, right? I'm, let, let me not try to undersell it. It's a big deal that the San Francisco 49ers – have a female coach. Um, I believe the San Antonio Spurs as well. They have a female coach. So those, you know, those women classify as minorities, right? So we got to follow this here. We got to follow it. So, but one thing about this particular report is this brother, Dr. C. Keith Harrison, he's putting African-American in this write-up in this report, even though when it's put out to the media and to for the masses that don't sit and read it, it's going to be put out as minority. So, again, it's, it, it kind of goes back to one of the things Claude, Dr. Claude Anderson said. It's kind of like benign neglect, benign neglect. So, if massive changes aren't taken, then it's going to be a minority thing. And it's going to be reversed and say, well, why should it just be black people? Like, women can coach. Latinos can coach. Um, you know, other ethnic groups, they they should be able to coach as well. 
So it becomes a minority thing, right? It becomes a minority thing. So, you know, that's this what they call the old bait and switch, especially when you throw that word out there. But like I said, the good thing about this particular report is that he speaks specifically about what he's talking to. He's specifically speaking about African-Americans, even though it can and probably will be in the future just be minority based, which means you may have more women coaches. You may actually eventually have a female be the offensive or defensive coordinator, become a position coach, not just a an analyst or something like that, or have a Latino and stuff like that, which I'm not for. I'm not, wait a minute, let me change that. I'm not not for upliftment of anyone that feels that they possess the intelligence to qualify for these jobs because all of these teams have fans from different backgrounds, right? They all have different fans from different backgrounds. My friend is a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. He sent me a picture from out, um, was it? What is it? Juarez. Juarez. And Juarez is a city in Mexico that's not, that's kind of like on the border with El Paso, I believe. I think it is. And it was Pittsburgh Steelers fans right down there. I mean, it was like a hundred some odd people in that picture. And to my knowledge, I don't think they have any Latinos on that particular team or Latinos in that particular realm. But that doesn't take away from the fanship. So if they have a child or something and the child feels that, hey, you know, I want to be an offensive coordinator or head coach for the Pittsburgh Steelers, then obviously you fall into that minority category and now you become eligible to be, you know, interviewed or whatever the situation is, you know, like that. And I feel that's eventually what's going to happen. So while this report is important, right? But I told you to focus on inclusion. The next word is is just as important, diversity, right? So that doesn't just, even though, like I said, the report is black and white, the diversity can be spent for anything because Society feels we are at a point where it's no longer black and white anymore, right? Which is not black and white anymore because it's more people, like it's more ethnic groups here. And that's done purposely, right? So it's it's no longer black and white. So it's benign, benign neglect, so it continues to suppress that black voice, right? And so while, like I said, I feel that this report is very, very important, it can still fall on deaf ears. And then if they reads this, they see this. And the thing about it is, is that one thing that I noticed is when you force someone to do something or try to force someone to do something, a lot of time the results are what you want them to be. Because at the end of the day, these teams are owned by individuals, they just work in a structure, which is the NFL. But Roger Goodell 
can't go to one of these owners and say, hey, you must hire this particular person. Like, you must do it. Because they can say, hey, we interviewed them. The qualities that they that they have just didn't match up with whatever it is that we are looking for and we're moving forward. And that can be the end of that. They don't have to give a long, drawn-out reason. And, and if they do, they have the money to pay someone to give it long and drawn out. And Roger Goodell doesn't want to read that. So it's kind of like going back to the question, NFL to blame. I can get mad. We can all get mad at any of the owners that we want to and say that you should do this or do that. But at the same token, it's like if someone came to your house or someone came to my house, just like just say someone come to my house today and say, hey, you're going to hire me to cut your grass. And I'm like, you can't make me hire you, right? You can't make me. I mean, this isn't the mafia. You can't make me do anything, right? I can... I can go get legal representation. You're threatening me, right? I can I can do that. I, I can cut my own grass or I can hire who I want to hire. You know, I mean, you can run me off a list of your services and I may or may not get back with you, but you can't force me to hire someone. And so that's where the conundrum comes in. Because while the NFL can be blamed for a role that they play, in this, they can't be blamed for the decisions that the owners make because the commissioner doesn't have the power nor does he have the authority to make them do something that they don't want to do because at the end of the day, each team is a is a is a small is a small company that's what it is. So, and a head coach is essentially a upper tier job. It's not front office, but it's as close to front office as you're going to get from that particular standpoint. So if they don't feel that they want to hire someone, they don't feel that, 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 that mesh. And a lot of people say, you know, they'll go back and say, oh, it's the good old boy system. And, you know, it can be. I mean, you know, depending on what it is, if that's what, that's what you want it to be. But I look at it more so as kind of goes back to the is not about what you know, it's who you know. So if you have a good person that is respectable and commendable, and <laughs> it goes back to one of the other things that people say, where they say, oh, you need a good white friend in your life. You know, you need a good, you know, you need a good white friend because your white friend, he can, he can, he can go talk for you. Or she can go talk for you, right? So it's kind of like that. You know, and it goes back to the inclusion, like you're included now, like, okay, well, I can be, I can befriend the white guy, like, hey, man, I need your help, like, you know, blah, 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 like, hey, you know, I know you know somebody knows one of the owners, man, you know, vouch for me, you know, whatever. So, you know, it becomes that, right? And I still feel you have the inferiority complex still at play. When you think about the aspect that um, certain assistants may not want to work 
for a black person because I know that the the Cleveland Brown situation it got kind of a little messy when Hugh Hugh Jackson was there and it was essentially almost reported like the his white assistants were almost like trying to undermine him because they wanted their job and I mean that's still there so it's almost like even sometimes even if you get the job and again <clears throat> I don't want to make it seem like there's no need to to try or to try to strive to actually get these particular positions, but you have that at play. And I mean, that's something that can happen at any particular job, but we're talking about this particular thing, right? So, I mean, like I said, the NFL, yes, the NFL can be blamed, but at the same time, like, no, because you can't force them to do anything, right? I mean, the way that owner runs his team, the way that however that owner decides who to and who not to hire, I mean, that's strictly up to them. And so if, you know, you're around and forcing them to do something, then, I mean, it. it that's one thing, that a person with money, they don't want to be told what to do because one of the things that money affords you is the luxury of being more free to make decisions that you want to make. So each one of the owners is a billionaire. And based on the way that wealth is dictated in America, if you're a billionaire, you're at that you're at that level. Right? No one is a trillionaire. So billionaire is the status. So you're at the top of the you're at the top of the pile. So that's the last thing. Someone at the top of the pile will want somebody that's at the middle of the pile, which would be Roger Goodell, to tell somebody at the top what to do. Right? So, um, like I said, it's a good report. Um, 26, 29 pages long. If you're interested in it, um, you can just type it in and you can find it and, and read it. And I would love to, you know, discuss it with anybody you know we can talk about it because I'm always open to looking at it from a, a different person's perspective because someone may look at it and say well hey well you know what about looking at it from this particular perspective you know or like well I, I feel what you're saying but you know I look at it this way so I'm always open to any type of dialogue like that so that's the end of this discussion um Hit the subscribe button. Tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend. And I'll be back to you again next week. Peace.